Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who is striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week, we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 20.3, the third and final episode in a series where we are exploring a grab bag of pieces that are related to the season of autumn. During the past two episodes, we heard a couple of subdued, slow pieces in minor keys. But autumn doesn't always have to be a reflective downer time of year. Today, we're going to talk about a piece that is full of life and energy, Scott Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag. Even though it's a bit of a stretch to include in a series about pieces inspired by autumn, the title begs to differ. This is not only a welcome introduction to the composer to the podcast, but also a welcome to an entire genre. This piece is one of the very first examples of ragtime. In fact, it was used as a model for the movement. And because of its enormous popularity and influence, its composer, Scott Joplin, was named the King of Ragtime. And he earned steady royalties from this piece for the rest of his life. Ragtime is an American musical style that thrived during the early 1900s. Its name is derived from the syncopated or ragged nature of its rhythms. We talked about syncopation a bit during the series on jazz music back in the first season of this podcast, and this is no coincidence, as ragtime is the direct precursor to jazz music. Also similar to jazz, ragtime originated with the African American communities in the South and the Midwest. Ragtime's kind of a musical cocktail of several key ingredients. Classical music, marches, folk music, and popular dances like the cakewalk. Just add ice, blend, and serve with a slice of lemon. Pieces in the ragtime style are often referred to as rags, hence maple leaf rag. And they were mostly written for piano, even though they've been arranged for many different instruments throughout the years. The first major ragtime hit was an 1896 song called You've Been a Good Old Wagon, But You Done Broke Down. It was written by some white guy from Kentucky who refused to acknowledge the origins of his music in the African-American community. Therefore, I will refuse to acknowledge him by name on this podcast. This is worth mentioning, however, because it's the unfortunate reality that it took a white man to break down the door to popularize this genre of music during this time in American history. Our man of the hour, Scott Joplin, said during an interview in 1913 that, quote, Ragtime music in America has been around for hundreds of years, but the white people took no notice of it until about 20 years ago. This was the first time in American history where African American music was mainstream, and this trend would boom even further in the 20s with the Jazz Age. Once jazz took over, 
ragtime was left in the dust. But several revivals have taken place throughout the 1900s. The most substantial ragtime revival happened during the 70s, which invited ragtime back into the mainstream for a whole new generation to enjoy. Part of the reason for this revival was the soundtrack for a 1973 movie called The Sting, starring a return of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid themselves, Gene Hackman and Robert Redford. The film highlighted several of Scott Joplin's pieces, most notably the popular rag, The Entertainer. The Sting made Joplin's piece so popular, in fact, that this instrumental ragtime number actually hit number three on the Billboard Top 100. Music magazine Record World called it the classical phenomenon of the decade. And what is the best way to celebrate the classical phenomenon of the decade, you might ask? By sampling it on a fleet of American ice cream trucks, of course. Along with Turkey and the Straw, The Entertainer is one of the most classic and popular ice cream truck jingles that is used to instantly grab our attention and whet our appetite for frozen delight. In addition to ice cream immortalization, the ragtime revival in the 70s led to Joplin being posthumously awarded with the Pulitzer Prize for Musical Composition in 1976. But before The Entertainer, the rag that really put Joplin on the map and launched ragtime into full force was the piece that we're going to discuss today, Maple Leaf Rag, which was published in 1899. During this time of his life, Joplin was a touring musician who was staying in the city of Sedalia, Missouri. He would play piano at local nightclubs in town. And here's the part where we learn that maple leaf rag has nothing to do with leaves or autumn. Because it was probably named after one of those Sedalia, Missouri nightclubs. The historic Maple Leaf Club. Which is the likely origin of the title. Joplin sold the piece to a publisher for a royalty of one penny per sale. While sales were slow upon its initial release... Maple Leaf Rag ended up being a steady seller throughout Joplin's life, earning him about $600 a year, which equates to around $18,000 these days, which is not a bad return for a single composition. Maple Leaf Rag was Joplin's biggest hit during his lifetime. In fact, it was one of the first national instrumental hits by an African-American composer. It was even included in the songbook aboard the Titanic, but for obvious reasons, we won't know if it was ever actually played on the voyage. The piece has also been sampled in a handful of TV shows, like M.A.S.H., How I Met Your Mother, and The Simpsons. Joplin requested that Maple Leaf Rag be played at his own funeral, but his wife thought that the upbeat tune 
wouldn't make for appropriate funeral music, so she didn't allow it. She ended up regretting this decision, realizing that the piece was one of the defining achievements of her husband's life. So let's break down this iconic piece of American music history that defined an era. Maple Leaf Rag was considered a substantially more difficult ragtime piece than others at the time. Part of the reason is that it is set in a somewhat challenging key signature, A-flat major. The key of eternal judgment. Death, putrefication, expansive viewpoints of a dark cosmos and existence, ghosts, goblins, and graveyards. Still a very weird description for a major key, and not a valid description of this piece at all. This piece is quite the opposite of doom and gloom. It's actually immediately infectious and catchy, and it remains so throughout the entirety of the piece. Joplin includes four themes, and they are arranged in the following order. A, A, B, B, A, C, C, D, D. So just by hearing that form, you could tell that there's a heavy emphasis on repetition. Each theme is repeated, and then the A theme is thrown in the middle a third time, you know, for good measure. I mentioned before that ragtime is a blend of march style, with polyrhythms coming from African folk music. These influences are immediately apparent, as the left hand grounds the piece with a steady bass line that emphasizes beats 1 and 3 while the right hand plays a syncopated melody that thrives on the offbeat. This is also the most recognized section, and the part that you've probably heard before. After a repeat of the A section, we arrive at section B, where we get more or less the same thing. A playful, syncopated melody in the right hand, and a grounded, march-like bass line in the left. Keep an ear out for some chromatic progressions in the bass line that help drive the piece forward. After two rounds of the B theme, we get a quick reminder of how good the A section is with the brief replay. And then we arrive at section C. Taking on cues from the march style that inspired ragtime, the C section is also called the trio, and it adds an extra flat with the key modulation. So instead of the standard four flats in the A flat major key, we modulate to D flat major and pick up a fifth flat. This also happens to make section C a little bit more difficult for the player.
Then finally, we arrive at the fourth and final theme of the piece, section D. This section returns us to our home key of A-flat major, and continues the same style of syncopated rhythms and march-style bass, closing out the piece on a high, energetic note. This is Scott Joplin's Maple Leaf Rag.
Okay, so it had nothing to do with Autumn, but I knew I wanted to squeeze Joplin in somewhere, and this piece is just too good and iconic to pass by. And while we're still in the middle of the autumn season, this series on autumn leaves has come to an end. Two weeks from now puts us right smack dab into Thanksgiving week. So the next episode will be in three weeks. And what are we going to talk about? Honestly, I'm not sure yet. I'm in between a few options, so it's going to be a Thanksgiving surprise. Hope you all have a relaxing holiday, and I'll talk to you soon. You can find the standalone recording of the piece we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. And remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.